Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Alex Melzer. Welcome. Thank you. Great, great for having me. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and we ask them the standardized set of questions in the domains that we think matter for building a successful company. And these are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Alex, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? My name is Alex, uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Solar. Uh, why do I do what I do is because I believe climate change is humanity's biggest challenge and we haven't solved it and we urgently actually need to solve it. And so what we've built is uh, Solar, a digital platform for residential solar, and we enable consumers to make an impact against climate change. Please tell us more about that company. So what exactly are you selling to whom? So what we do is if you own uh, a house, uh, you could go on our website and then uh, you give us data on your home. And based on that data, we'll give you an individual customized configuration of a solar system for your home. And the solar system is the solar panels on your roof. It's the battery in the basement. It's an EV charger and a complete protection package of that. And you can configure everything online and then you order it and we take care of the actual installation on your home. And you buy that or you rent it, you lease it? How does it work? Um, consumers can do whatever they like. So we have, uh, they can pay in cash, they can finance through us or they can rent it from us. And you pay mostly directly to the, uh, to the homeowner, not, not through larger corporations or so? No, exactly. So, so the, the the core value add for consumers is that they typically they would use electricity from the grid to to power their home or to charge now their electric vehicles, and with the solar system on the house, they can pretty much produce up to eighty percent of their own electricity, and that's where they have the saving. And we sell the complete turnkey packages to the consumers in order to enable them to do that. Thank you so much for that. And now let's get started. People. If you would start a company today, what would be your first five hires? Definitely senior people, experts in their fields. And uh, so I would definitely hire tech people, uh, data people, and uh, definitely a great CPO uh, to, to especially in our case, it's the it's the consumer case, uh, someone that really brings the consumer story, the consumer product forward. But definitely more senior people. But but like the the top level with which you could go through the next I don't know four or five years or a level below and then higher on top of them a little bit later still. That's always the biggest challenge at the beginning. If you hire too senior, they don't get stuff on the road. If you hire too junior, they don't have the strategy. So I'd probably do a mix, um, some more senior, uh, so very senior, more the C-level that they can, you hire them for the next two years, but some also that get stuff on the road and really the, the great people in the beginning that you need to get things going. Were these your first five hires? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it instead? Uh, instead, it was uh, probably interns and we, were, we didn't have the, the funding to do it. And uh, so we we're on a, on a shoestring budget and uh, 
yeah, I think like most startups, we did the same mistakes and, and hired two junior in the beginning before bringing uh, uh, more experienced people in. Which, which can be because of simple funding problems, but then you can probably work with ESOPs, et cetera. Exactly, but it's a chicken and egg game, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> If you look at the market today, what are the hardest hires in your opinion? Um, so the hardest hires are definitely uh, tech, data, um, I think that those two, so developers, uh, the, those two are the most critical ones and they're very hard to recruit. Um, I think we're in a particularly good situation because we actually have a mission-driven business. Uh, it's very obvious that by putting a solar system on a person's home, we make a direct contribution to climate protection. So that's why we can, despite despite um, the, the tough market, we can offer something to talented people and they're more willing to join us than the next e-commerce or the next whatever SaaS business. Um, I think the market now is changing a little bit. Um, and uh, so I think that I'm, I'm quite hopeful that we get more great people that want to join us. How do you measure employee satisfaction to make sure once you once you have the people, they don't churn? Uh, we use Leapsum. Um, I mean, there's, there's tons of uh, survey tools out there. We use Leapsum uh, and measure monthly uh, ENPS. And we have a standard set of questions that we ask. Uh, and especially in times of COVID, we adapted the question to really get a grip on uh, how our people are doing. And then our uh, PNC team is responsible to actually look at the answers and uh, then deduct kind of structural things that we need to change. How about performance? How do you measure that? Can you measure performance of employees? Um, so first of all, we, like most startups, we run OKR set um, where we have really measurable KPIs. Uh, and I think there's certain areas where you can measure performance quite easy. Let's take sales or whatever, right? It's very transparent or customer success or uh, pre-sales. It's very easy to measure. Um, but then there's other areas where performance is not as easy to measure. And let's say tech again, right? Do you measure number of co line of codes, right? It doesn't say anything because the probably the best or the first Google algorithm had only a few lines of codes. Um, and so I think what it what it comes down to is more what is what is the 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 overall engagement of the people in order to solve the problem for the company, right? So um, that, that's how, how I would look at performance, making sure people are really engaged and want to bring the business forward. Mm -hmm. How should an organization be structured? Do you have a favorite type of org chart? Um, I don't. And I think it really depends on what you do. Um, so I don't think there's any blueprint that works for, if you, especially when you look in the textbooks, it's not that you can take this, put it on your company and then it works, right? Uh, so we have a functional setup with cross-functional teams on certain areas. Um, so it works for us today. It may not work when we get bigger. Uh, and it was definitely different when we were smaller. So I think also the org changes over time as you grow, right? So I don't think there's a, there's a, a preferred way of structuring it. You, I think every company needs to figure it out themselves. What's your approach to culture? 
My approach to culture is a sentence I read a couple of years ago, and it said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, I think this is so true, especially in the beginning uh, when you start a company, because frankly, whatever strategy you come up with, you're going to change it anyways, right? Uh, and so culture is, the, for me, the most important thing that to really lay the in the beginning the culture, to really communicate why are people in the organization and really to have strong values that the organization develops that everyone adheres to and lives by, right? This is crucial when you grow. Can you give one or two examples of, of the values that you have at Zolar? Yeah. So we have, uh, for example, one is climate activists. Uh, and, and again, we had a, a workshop with uh, a couple of members from, from the team and they ran the workshop with the entire company and then they came up with the values, nothing we did top down. So it actually came from the organization. And uh, so one is climate activists. And I think this is really underlying our purpose. And we also recruit against climate activists, right? We want to make sure that we get people in that want to make a contribution against uh, climate um, and the second one for example is strong together and that's really where we believe people need to be at eyes level it doesn't matter what if they see level or intern at the end of the day it's us all together trying to achieve a common goal right are you remote first or office first uh, we're remote first um, we changed. Uh, we changed one year ago. We were definitely office first. Uh, and then we changed to the hybrid model uh, where people can work in the office. They can work remote. It doesn't really matter. Uh, we recruit Germany-wide. Uh, we're going to recruit European-wide now. And we also allow our people uh, to actually work four weeks a quarter from any EU country. Um, so they can... They, they can go and, and live in france for a month or whatever yeah the time limitation is probably also a little bit related to uh to to the tax situation right i, I know it, that from it's all the horrible it's yeah. yeah it's not that the company can just decide a hey, work from wherever you want but it, people can run into serious tax issues actually here and, and be that is the issue we would we would do it differently but uh, there's so the, the european tax law or german tax law and also the social insurance is not set up for the new world we live in Tech. Would you call Zolar a tech company? I would not call Solar a tech company. Uh, I would call it a tech-enabled company. So tech plays a major role in what we do, and uh, it, it makes us scalable, and then it makes us uh, actually achieve an impact. Uh, but we're not selling tech, right? So the software we develop, we give to our consumers or we give to our partners for free, and it's not actually the revenue on the software, uh, but the tech that we develop makes us scalable. For the tech part that you have incorporated at Zolar, um, I guess you have product people and you have developers. Is, is one of those two teams in the lead for that cluster of, of, of work? No, so we have, that, that. that's a good example. We have a product team and we have a tech team and they have what we call a virtual department, which we call uh, tech and product. And uh, so they jointly, uh, we really run mixed teams of a lead developer, of a product manager, and then uh, front end, back end, uh, QA and UX UI. Um, and uh, it's really a joint way of developing the product. I don't think there could be one or the other in the lead. Um, okay. 
when it comes to down to the decision of what to develop next, what to put on the roadmap, uh, what's in the next sprint, etc., um, who who takes that decision? That's a, a lifelong struggle, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> who gets priority on the tech development? Um, I think in general, we have annual OKR guidance or quarterly OKR guidance uh, in order to give guidance to the team when they make a particular decision. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, it's, it's obviously always a fighting is when do you when do you get rid of tech debt when do you you know build new features and how do you prove that these new features actually contribute to the business output um and so there's it's not one or the other i think it's a decision process based on the target that we want to achieve and we're trying to more and more measure what is the target that we want to achieve we built the feature and then trying to also validate if we have achieved the target Sorry for staying on that, but how does sure. the decision process uh, work? So, um, I mean, this this struggle is, is probably every company that has a significant tech part uh, has that. But how does the process work in your case? How, what's the, the meeting schedule, probably the, 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 the duration of the iterations uh, of the sprints, etc.? How does it work? Yeah, so so we so so first of all, we do on a quarterly basis as part of the OKR process. The the relevant POs uh, basically get all the the input from the stakeholders. Then they have usually a long list of things that needs to be done, and then they already qualify it. Uh, and then the things that are relevant to the company, together with the tech leads, gets qualified and put on a roadmap basically before they get uh, really finalized and specified. Um, and uh, then there's a decision on which kind of makes the cut and which doesn't. Uh, and so we're trying to somehow uh, trying to get a view for the quarter, but obviously not trying to be a waterfall per se, uh, because that's also uh, dangerous, right? Um, and so it, for, in, in our case, it's part of the, the quarterly planning. But then also on the weekly basis, we do we don't do sprints. Uh, we ship whatever is ready, and we're trying to do very small increments that we constantly ship, uh, and uh, we we ship with feature flags um, so that it can be turned on, turned off. Thank you. Uh, what's your take on product led growth? Uh, to be honest, I don't have a real, <laughs> I don't have a real opinion. Um, I, I think in 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 our case, what we're trying to solve is probably so much bigger than all of us. Um, because if we do not solve climate change, uh, we, we're really running a risk as humans to be extinct. I'm 100% convinced of that, and that's an unpopular opinion to have because a lot of people say, "Oh, you, you, you're a doomsmaker, right? Uh, this the tech is going to solve us." The problem is not the tech. The problem is that we're not changing fast enough and that the impact that we're going to see in the world on, on, on people uh, is going to be so tremendous and that these people are going to migrate, right? So for example, for example, water shortage, which is going to be massive in, 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 in Africa and in India. And so these people are not just going to sit there and wait. These people are going to migrate, right? And when mig when migration happens, a lot of social unrest starts in the areas where people migrate to, and that is the biggest threat that we have as as, as humans, right? And that's also the biggest threat to the economy that we actually have. So, so for me, uh, to to answer that 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 question, for me, the uh, 
we, we need to create renewable energy as a fantastic product that everyone signs up to because that's the biggest impact an individual can do uh, against climate change. Thanks. Uh, which role does design play in your company? Design is something I have personally underestimated. I think it's very crucial, especially in a, in a consumer-led business. Right, uh, so good-looking brand, good-looking uh, UX/UI interactions, uh, it, and it doesn't have to be the Apple, right? Uh, the Apple design, it, there's great comic design or whatever, but I think design in any B 2 C business is crucial. Um, do you or would you outsource software development? Um, so we, our, our take is our framework is so to say. We insource whatever is business critical and we buy and outsource uh, what is not business critical. Um, so that's that's how we in general approach it. And then so standard, uh, standard features, let's say building an app where you have general components of building the app, this is something we would outsource, right? Um, but then the underlying, let's say, uh, technology on how the project flows through or the energy data, that's something we keep in-house because that's the real value add to the consumer. Growth. If you think about the classic funnel from brand to marketing to sales, customer success, You're B2C as far as I see it, um, but then you're probably more sales logic business than, I don't know, selling shoes online or so. Do you have all these functions? Do you have all these funnel functions? We do. Uh, so we have uh, we have obviously brand, we have performance marketing, we have referral marketing, we have uh, SEO, uh, so direct channels. Uh, we have pre-sales and sales, uh, so lead warming and, and in-house sales. And then obviously when someone has bought a solar system, we have a customer success function that during the installation of the, the system uh, is the direct point if the customer has any questions. Is any of these functions in the lead for that process? Yes. And how are they structured? Is there is there um, uh, the person who's on top? Is that the I don't know chief sales officer, marketing officer, revenue, or how how is the structure among them? Yeah. So we have uh, so we have we, we basically split the business in more or less two parts. One is generating the lead and doing the initial designs and, and selling the system. That's our growth area, which is under uh, our chief commercial officer. And then the execution implementation side of things, which we call operations, where also customer success is part of, that's under our chief operating officer. Right? So so we have basically two major business business function units, if you will, in the business. Okay. Um, now, whenever you have all these functions and you have a, a sales process that is not just like click the yellow shoe and buy it, um, then and you work along the funnel, then when things work well, they work well. If they don't, often the blame game starts. And I don't know, uh, sales says uh, the leads weren't great and marketing says sales is not converting them right. How can you avoid such a blame game and how can you break up silos um, along the funnel? 
Yeah, so first of all, the, and that comes back to the values. I think it's very important to have strong values that you can refer to. And we have additionally to the values, we have what we call leadership principles. And uh, one of the leadership principles is uh, take ownership and be accountable. And I think this is, this is the key one here, not to blame others. And that's a value that we live very strongly so it doesn't matter who didn't perform in, in the chain. Uh, you have to step it up, take ownership, solve it, and even solve it with the other person. Um, so that that's I think is one important uh, one important point. The other important point is the breakage point. I would more or less say in our business case is. There's, there's a sales arm and an origination arm, and there's an implementation arm. So really bridging the gap between the two, that's something we're putting a lot of effort and focus on, making sure that these two areas are not, that there's not a, an interface, so to say. How important is brand for you? Br brand is, is crucial in a B2C business, in my opinion, um, because... I think we'll also have a question on performance marketing, but if you want to get out of the performance marketing trap, you have to build a brand. Right? There's no question about it. And uh, especially in our case, our average ticket is 22,000 euros, right? So it's not the classic, uh, I acquire a customer, the first basket is 70 euros. And if that person buys five times, then I'm profitable within the first year. Um, so this is a major purchase that a customer does. So the better the brand and the better the brand experience, and the better the referral rate is and the better my long-term marketing cost will be, right? So how do you approach brand? So first of all, we I'm not a marketer. I'm, I'm not a brand person. Um, and so we hired a great, uh, our CCO, Uh, she has built a couple of brands before. She's really good at that. She built the brand of Kununu, which uh, I guess a lot of people would know in, in, in the German, at least, uh, e ecosystem. Um, and so we brought her on board and she looked at the brand, turned it upside down, brought a brand agency in. Uh, we hired um, in the board, we hired Jacob, uh, the founder of Charité, and now uh, CMO of uh, Tomorrow Bank. Uh, to, to be a sparing partner on the board level and so really getting good people in that, that help you build a great consumer brand. Okay. Um, what, what would you say are the most significant things that you do in order to build your brand? Um, like, like the actual activities around that? Yeah. Um, so I think, first of all, it's, it's consumer understanding. It's, uh, it's design, it's communication, um, and, and I think what's important is to really tailor it to your target group. So our target group, we, 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 may, we may not be as fancy and aggressive as a gorillas from a brand, which obviously us living in Berlin Mitte really like, it really caters to us. But our reality, our target group is 35 to 55 lives in suburban or rural areas we need to cater to them really understand what they want what they need right and and then be edgy for them not what we think is edgy so so really stepping out of your own perspective and your own what you like into what would they like uh, i think this is the hardest part and that's the the, the best activity i guess you you can do mm -hmm. thanks uh, which marketing channels do you use and why these specific ones 
uh, we use everything <laughs> except, <laughs> except uh, out of home media and TV. <laughs> no, but, okay, but we do the very, very clear, <laughs> very clear exclusion. <laughs> no, but we uh, so we use um, performance marketing, SEO, um, brand building, PR, um, referral. Um, we don't do outbound. Um, um, so really really all, I would say, online channels that are, yeah, there. Is performance marketing dead or dying anytime soon? That's, I'm not a marketer. That's a, that's a really good question. Uh, I'm, I'm always, I'm always hesitant when someone says something is dead. Um, um, yeah, to be honest, I think as, as a general, as a business, you want to get out of the, the performance marketing game anyways. Right, so the faster you get out of it, the more healthy your business is, anyways. Um, and so, but yeah, obviously with the Google's um, slash Apple's limitations that they put in Facebook's, yeah, uh, downward spiral. Um, yeah, from at least from what I hear, it's it's harder to really target the audience. You do have salespeople. I think we have said that already. Yes. Um, where do you find good digital savvy salespeople, or or do your do your salespeople actually have to be uh, digital or tech savvy? So our salespeople don't need to be as tech savvy as maybe salespeople in the SaaS business. So it, it's not like selling. I don't know, SAP to, to well, that, that's a horrible example. <laughs> But it's not like selling SaaS software to, to in a B2B environment where you actually have to understand more the, the digital side of things. Um, so our salespeople are great emotional salespeople that can really interact with the consumers. And most of them are quite young. So they're digital savvy anyways, right? And I think for us, the split is always the, the, Traditional salespeople, they would go and sit down with a customer. Our salespeople really accept and say, oh, I, I just do a video call. Why do I have to go there, right? And I think that that's already where we can find them. And believe it or not, I my when we started, we always had the assumption, oh, salespeople don't care about the mission, right? They just want to make their commission. They just want to, you know, move on. But reality is everyone from our sales department works for us works for us because of the mission they also want to do their impact right they obviously also want to make money and close deals right but yeah I, my guess is that it's probably even a little bit the other way around because in the young digital savvy digital first generation not too many people want to actually work in sales but if it's for a purpose they believe in if it's for a mission they believe in they might actually be also okay to work in sales because you're not just selling something but you're convincing other people to do what's good Exactly, exactly. Data. How does data make Zolar successful? So, I mean, the, the, the standard answer, answer would be data helps us to make decisions. Um, and I think this is very true. And we spend a lot of money and a lot of effort in getting data and uh, trying to really build, what we did is we built a data lake and really being able to have end-to-end -end connection of data. Uh, and especially in a business where compared to e-commerce where you have, let's say millions of orders in every second of 20, 50, 30 uh, euros, 
we have a fraction of that, but then 20, 25,000 euros, right? So we have less, say, data volume, so to say. And so for us, it's even more crucial to, to get the, the right relevant data in order to make decisions. Which functional areas does your data team support? Do you have a dedicated data team? So we have a, so the way we set it up is, this is a good example for the cross-functional setup that we have. So we created a, basically a chapter logic where the, the chapter lead sits in the ops team. Um, so they have a BI team. They do they do BI analytics. They have a data engineer. They take care of the uh, of the data lake. And then in the growth team, uh, we also have a BI function, and they basically align across the company on the standards, on how they do reports, on how they save data, and all that stuff. So this is one of the departments that we. It's actually not a department, but it's one of the function that we've we've put in, uh, in, a, in a, almost in a matrix like function. Um, are the people working on data asked to only answer specific questions, or are they asked to explore the data and find opportunities? Um, so there's two things. Uh, one is obviously the organization has a lot of requests. Uh, and so over time, we've we've built with uh, we use Tableau uh, with Tableau. We we built a, a ton of reports and and where you can access data. Um, but definitely, the team also gives feedback when they see things or when they realize, hey, there's this and this happening. Uh, then that's the then they definitely do that. What we've set up as a general steering. Uh, yeah, logic is we have a monthly performance review with all teams, and then we go through with one dashboard, and we can see the entire performance of the company, and can really drill down in certain areas if if there are problems. How do you ensure that people really do what the data recommend? I, I can guess the answer from the answer that you just gave uh, on the on the on the previous one it seems to be really part and at, at the core of your company, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that we started to create that dashboard probably two years ago, and then refine it, and refine it, and refine it. And now you can it's it's almost it's almost like a traffic light system. You can see parts of the business which is green and part of the business is, which is red, and then you can drill down. You can look at the root causes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so, how do you ensure that the people do what the data says? Uh, I mean, that's part of the management, right? Hold people accountable. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, of a company in our portfolio, Katawiki. Um, they used to run board meetings completely. I don't know if it's still the case. It was some years ago, um, not based on um, slides, but basically based on the data warehouse. Quite good idea. And that is uh, actually the, definitely the preparations less. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's also much more honest and, and direct. Uh, yeah, uh, tools and infrastructure in the data area. You already mentioned Tableau. What else do you use? Um, so our infrastructure, we use AWS, uh, and then we have all bunch of microservices. And uh, I'm not ent I'm not entirely sure what we use the data lake, how we build the data lake with. Um, I'm not an expert on that, um, but yeah, definitely Salesforce, Tableau, AWS. Um, I think like most most companies that are in the B two C business. Mm -hmm. And for the data team structure, you already mentioned this mix of uh, some 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 centralized function and then having them spread uh, across the different uh, functions. And you mentioned, I think, data science and, and analysts that you have there. 
Yeah, so we have in 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 the ops team, uh, we have uh, one guy heading uh, kind of the the business intelligence uh, initiative, if we will, and they have analysts, they have data engineers, uh, they have people that built the Tableau, uh, they have people that work in Salesforce, and they also standardize uh, across uh, everyone else that uses uh, data. Um, so it's not just serving their own function, but also making sure that the standards and other functions are used. The top person in that field, in the data field, is uh, is which function and, and to whom does this person report? Um, he is uh, his title is head of uh, head of business intelligence, and he reports to the to the COO. So he sits on the operations side, um, and we debated long if we should centralize data or 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 business intelligence. If we, if it's either centralized, if it sits with the CTO, uh, but we opted for it should sit closer to the business. Um, and so that they really get the relevant information. Um, and then we just have to make sure that it's standardized across the organization. Thanks. GDPR, is it a struggle or an opportunity? <laughs> I was actually laughing when I read <laughs> this question. And I really wondered if anyone ever said that it's an opportunity. <laughs> yes, uh, they did. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe a GDPR lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I personally think, I'm not sure if it's a, it's an opportunity. It is a struggle, right? Uh, not that we not that we don't want to do it, but I think if you do it by the textbook, if you do it really everything that you have to do, you become a corporate, right? You lose yeah. a lot of speed. Um, and, and so, yeah. Yeah. No. To, so, to in in all fairness, uh, I think the the founders who see an opportunity in it are probably directly positively affected by the fact that they I don't know that they that that they deal with a lot of data and that they can offer a service um, where they have a direct competitive advantage towards solutions that are uh, offered and hosted in the U.S., for example, or that are built on logics that are not so GDPR compliant in the first place. And, and, and they have built that at different times. So they're, Abs they're absolutely, sense. and I think uh, so. I, I lived uh, for a couple of years in North America, and and I appreciate European data protection. Right, I think it's great, but also we shouldn't get hung up too much because Americans definitely spend a lot of time with it, and they innov continue innovating on on tech, where we in Europe sometimes also the software departments get hung up on GDPR. Right. So there, there is this fine struggle between innovation versus protection. Environmental, social and governance. Why did you, I think we can say Zolar is an ESG company, uh, why did you start an ESG company? Um, so I think I didn't start an ESG company on purpose. Um, it was not that I looked at different business fields and I said, oh, I want to start an ESG business. Uh, why did I start solar is because I started working in the solar industry in 2007. So really early um, because I, yeah. I was working in the climate protection field for many, many years and uh, worked in North America, South America. And then when I started solar, uh, what I realized is that the speed that we had as humanity to to really fight climate change was way too slow, right? And this this was 2016 when no one talked about climate change. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first, even up to, until 20. 
2018, uh, I explained climate change to investors. Uh, and I explained them why this is a business opportunity. And people just like, what do you want, right? So I think now we're a little bit more advanced and people get it. Uh, and ESG is also more on the radar for bigger funds or um, uh, asset managers. Um, but definitely back then, yeah, no one cared. It's actually fun. I, I, coincidentally, I just did it today, but it's fun to uh, go to Google Trends and just enter ESG or climate change or stuff like that and to see since when this is really top of mind and surprisingly new still. I think ESG uh, as a term or as, as, as an abbreviation takes off in recognition uh, in 2019 and climate change peaked a little bit before that, but it's... Uh, yeah, uh, 2007 was certainly, you were certainly very early in a field that is so necessary um, today. What does Zola do internally in order to help our environment? So, well, first of all, the uh, our pure purpose and existence of our company is to fight climate change, right? So we are very focused on the environmental piece of ESG. And uh, so the business outcome of what we do um, mitigates carbon dioxide emission because a person that would have used coal-fired uh, coal uh, electricity before now has their own electricity from, from the roof and that's green electricity. So that's that's the, the immediate effect that we have. So internally, off, uh, obviously, we offset all the uh, emission that we do as a company, right? Um, so that's what we account for it uh, and we offset it. Uh, I'm not personally, and I, I know a lot of people don't like that, I'm personally not a fan of offsetting um, because offsetting doesn't solve the problem. Right? Offsetting means I'm emitting. So offsetting should be the last resort that I'm using, um, but uh, we do offset our own emission. Yeah. Um... Which role does social play in the way you run your business? Yeah. So uh, social, um, the way we interpret it is that in order to build a strong company, in order to build uh, a mission-driven company, we need to be pe people-focused, right? So the, the talent, the people is what, what makes us uh, successful. And that's why we have introduced a bunch of, uh, you know, benefits. And I think also the way we've set up the company now by being remote first, offering one month a quarter that you can work abroad. We offer sabbaticals. Uh, we don't, we have, we don't really have core working hours. We call them core availability hours, um, stuff like that. So we have a real focus on the people side uh, of the business. Anything you would like to add on governance? It's usually the least looked at in ESG. I actually, again, on Google Trends, if you look at uh, environmentalists on a rise, social has always been relevant. Governance is basically like the the, the, the one letter here that that is not on top of mind so much. Any criteria you follow here? Yeah, so again... I think my my personal view is, and 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 we've seen lately a couple of scandals around, or potential scandals around ESG. Um, I think there's a lot of companies that score high in ESG uh, because they have all the governance ratings, right? And for for me to put in governance, to put in policies in place, that's the easy part. 
the problem is do you believe as a company and as individuals in the company do you believe in that governance do, do you live by those values right so i think Governance is a very corporate side of looking at it. I, I think in the startup environment, I would more say it's the values. Do we have great values and do, do people stick to those values? And then as you grow bigger, you obviously put in more governance into your company uh, in order because, well, a investors need it and want it, uh, but also to make sure that you've pretty much covered all areas. If you are a startup, um, does focus on ESG help you get funding or do you think investors rather see it as a deflection from earning as much as possible? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, so we so we uh, approached a bunch of, in our fundraising, we approached a bunch of climate tech investors and climate tech is, 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 is the new word for clean tech. And what we realized is that a lot of these guys don't really have the hypothesis straight and don't have a lot of experience in, in, in impact investing or climate impact investing. And so um, so I don't think ESG is a deflection because especially if you look 10, 15, 20, 30 years in the future, climate change will be such a big problem that any business making money off climate change or to, to, to protect uh, the, the climate will be more valuable than other companies, right? And so, uh, I, yeah, so it's definitely not deflecting, but I also wouldn't say, oh, there's a bonus because your ESG, you get 30% more valuation. That for sure is also not the case. Okay. Do you have an ESG officer or something similar at Solar? So we have a climate officer uh, at, uh, at Solar, and uh, she takes care of uh, the climate impact uh, that we do. Uh, we don't have an ESG officer yet, uh, but we'll uh, start to uh, put someone in place uh, as part of our, also of our fundraising round. And where in the organization would you put such a role or where do you have your current role? Where To, to whom does this person report? Um, so I think it, it should sit either with people in culture in our case uh, or should report to the CEO or chief of staff or something like that. But I think it should be sit very central. Thank you. Last three questions. Which is the one podcast that all founders should listen to? <laughs> I, I have to, when I when I when I read through the question, I, I figured I, I never listen to podcasts, and if I do, I, I only listen to a German one because I think it's funny, and uh, sometimes life needs to be funny, and we can't take us ourselves too serious. Uh, so I, I honestly don't have a good recommendation there for founders. But but which is that one? The, the, the oh, one? I listen to it. It's called Gemischtes Hack. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, I just oh. think it's funny and uh, the, the, yeah, yeah, it, and it's quite popular in in our industry. I mean, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's super popular in Germany. Yeah. Um, um, what are the top two pieces of advice that you have for early stage founders? Yeah, the first one is that everyone told me um, and I didn't listen. And that's basically hire great people very early, right? So make sure to get the good people early. Don't try to bootstrap. Don't try to... I know it's a little bit of hindsight 2020 advice because if you don't have money, how are you going to hire great people? Um, but it it's such a key difference if you have great people. Um and the second one I have is uh, 
especially in the beginning when you're trying to figure out, uh, I think what's important is that you have your mission straight, right? I know there's a lot of founders out there and they, they want to found for the sake of founding. That, in my opinion, is not a mission. The mission really needs to be why do you do something? Why do you why are you in that area and why do you want to found a company in that area? And I think it's so crucial along the line because you're gonna hit so many low points, you're gonna you're gonna break so often, you're not motivated or you have setbacks. And if you don't have your why straight, I think then you always get in that trap, oh I just look for something else and found something else, right? Um so so really figuring out what the why is uh, is is really important. Thank you. Last one. Which founder can you introduce to me? And I will ask that person the exact same set of questions. Uh, I would recommend Evolena de Wild. Uh, she's the founder of Fercardo. And uh, Fercardo is a young startup from Berlin. Uh, they do a meta search on, on, on used goods. So almost like a, like a Google flights search for, uh, for, for used goods. And for me personally, because I'm in climate protection, I think reusing goods is very important. And uh, so what they do is you can, instead of looking at rebuy at eBay client-and-side at eBay and all these different places, uh, you just have one search and then it shows you and they're working on a Chrome plugin, which I find quite funny. So if you shop, let's say on Amazon and you, you want to buy, I don't know, an iPhone, this one would pop up and it will tell you, hey, you can also buy the same exact thing, same thing used and that's your CO2 saving, that's your price saving. So I think it's a quite, quite, clever idea cool thank you very much i'm very very much looking forward to that introduction that's it for today thank you so much for answering all these uh, 42 questions uh, thanks to the audience for listening in please leave a rating for this podcast um, sign up for it contact project a in whatever uh, reasons you see necessary and hope to have you back as an audience next week again thank you bye bye thank you We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.